We have enjoyed a wonderful time of worship today, as we have heard our children singing and quartet and praise to God. And that indeed is part of Palm Sunday, Hosanna to the King. And yet as we look at Luke's account, we we see quite a contrast in Luke's account of the beginning of Palm Sunday text and the end of it, because in the midst of all the joy and praise and worship, we see Jesus weeping. Luke chapter 19, we begin at verse 28, and we read in Jesus' name. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, And my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes, the leading men among the people, were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do for all the people We're hanging on to every word he said. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joy of this day as we celebrate your coming into Jerusalem. A day of praise to you, and yet at the same time, it was a sad day for you. As you saw the city of Jerusalem and you knew what was to come. Lord Jesus, you wept for the people of that city. Lord, teach us from your word this morning. Guide us into your truth. Your word is everlasting truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Isaiah chapter 53, 
Jesus is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as you examine the New Testament, you see several places in which Jesus is seen as weeping or crying. A very familiar one is the grave of Lazarus. As Jesus came and saw Mary and Martha weeping, and that shortest verse of the Bible that maybe that was the first verse you memorized, uh, John 11:35, Jesus wept. And they said, Behold how he loved him. And we know what it's like to weep at a time of sorrow. And then Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 seems to describe Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with loud crying and tears he, he prayed. And so we can understand those times of sorrow when we think of, of standing at a graveside or we picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing that he was going to carry all of our sins to the cross. Tears seem very fitting at those times, and indeed they are. But then we come to, to Palm Sunday, and, and the children are offering their praise to Jesus, and, and they're laying out their cloaks, and they're putting palm branches before Him, and they're shouting Hosanna to the King. And then we find Jesus stopping and pausing, as it were, and, and looking at the city of Jerusalem, and He's weeping. At a time of... Uh, Joyful celebration, Jesus is weeping, the weeping Savior. Why does Jesus weep? Notice, first of all, Jesus weeps because of superficial religion. Superficial religion. We look at the praise that is offered to Jesus here, and it appears to be joyful worship, and I believe for many it was. <laughs> there were those who understood why Jesus had come, but many did really not understand that. And Jesus weeps. And for one thing, many of those people who were there that first Palm Sunday were really sign-seekers. They had heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. The news was, was spreading rapidly about this man who could do all these miracles. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, that's why many went out to see him. We had that read this morning in John chapter 12, verse 17 says, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. And then verse 18 says, For this reason also the people went out and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So many in the crowd weren't seeking Jesus because they really wanted to worship him. They were looking for a sign. They wanted to see perhaps another miracle. And that was very common when Jesus went and preached. They'd ask him, show us a sign. Show us some sign that we may see you and believe. Remember what Jesus said about sign seekers in Matthew chapter 16, verse 3. He said, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign. So here were the sign seekers, superficial religion. 
And besides the sign seekers, there were also what we could call self-seekers there. They were using religion as their means of personal gain. And that becomes very clear when you look at what happened when Jesus entered the temple. Verse 45 says, He began to drive out those who were selling, and He was saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. Using the temple for personal gain. And you may wonder, well, what were they doing robbing? Well, when you came to Jerusalem, you had to offer the temple tax. And that had to be paid in Jewish currency. And so you have people coming from all over with various currency. They had to have it exchanged so they could offer that temple tax in Jewish currency, thus the money changers. And guess what the money changers did? <laughs> you came from a long play, a long journey. You didn't have the proper coins. Oh yeah, I'll exchange that for you. Might be a little price for it. Might be an exorbitant price for it, but I'll exchange it for you. And so they were using the temple to gain wealth in in that way. And they also had to bring an animal to sacrifice. And you're probably not going to carry an animal or drag an animal, you know, hundreds of miles to Jerusalem for Passover feast. And so they would sell animals there. You might try and bring an animal, but the priest might say, you know what, this doesn't meet the qualifications. There's a blemish here. You need an unblemished one. We've got them over here. We'd be happy to sell you one. <laughs> okay? And you go and buy one and you find out, whoa, that's still more expensive than I was thinking. Robbing. Using the temple as a means of self-gain. Self-profit. And that's not the only thing they were doing with the temple. They saw the temple as a place of protection, self-protection. Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a robber's den. What's a robber's den for? That was the hiding place, right? You'd go and you'd steal and you'd bring it back to your hiding place, your robber's den, your place of protection where no one else could come and get it. And you will notice that this is a quotation that Jesus makes from Jeremiah chapter 7, where Jesus describes people that were coming to the temple. And they figured that as long as they came to the temple, they were safe. That was their place of protection. And then they could live any way they wanted to live during the week as long as they went to church, (laughs) to the temple. Listen what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 8, he says, Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known? And then you come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, that you may do all these abominations." And then here's the verse Jesus quoted. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares 
the Lord. Things haven't changed much since then, have they? In Jeremiah's day, they thought if they just went to the temple, they were fine. They could live any way they wanted to live. I just go to church on Sabbath day. In Jesus' day, the same thing. And how about today? How many people who think coming to church on Sunday, I'm safe, I'm fine. I can live any way that I want to live during the week because I come to church and I put my offering in there and I go to communion. I am fine. As if the church is going to save you. Only Jesus can save you. And so here we have this this superficial religion. And Jesus weeps over people like that. Jesus weeps because of superficial religion. Jesus weeps because of passing opportunity. Passing opportunity. The people of Israel had a wonderful opportunity to know Jesus, the true and living God. He lived among them for 33 years, three years of public ministry. They saw Him heal the sick and cleanse the leper and cast out demons and feed the multitude and calm the sea and preach the Word and raise the dead and rise from the dead Himself. And yet they missed their day of opportunity. Notice how Jesus made this clear in verse 42. He says, If you had known in this day, even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And Jesus tells the reason why. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Missed opportunity. Jesus Christ walking among them, proclaiming His Word among them, making it clear to him that, to them that He was the fulfillment of all the prophecies going back to Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, and they missed it. He said, you didn't recognize your day of visitation, your time of opportunity. It's not the first time people missed opportunity. It happened in the days of Noah, didn't it? While Noah was building the ark, he was proclaiming there was judgment coming for all of those years, and they laughed at him. They missed their day of opportunity. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, how he warned the people of Israel that judgment was coming, and they would not listen. Second Chronicles 36, verse 16 says, They mocked the messengers of God. Until there was no remedy. Missed opportunity. The time of visitation when God was seeking to draw them to Himself and He sent His Word through the prophets and they continued to just laugh at it, to mock it. Judgment? Are you kidding me? Loving God, would He judge? Are you kidding me? Isn't that the culture in which we live in today as well? Passing opportunity. The days of youth pass away, and that's why Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, Remember your Creator 
in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I read a study that was done some years ago in the state of Texas. The question was asked of 10,000 people when they were saved. 8% said they were saved after the age of 20. 92% were saved before the age of 20. Conviction of the Holy Spirit passes away. People think that they can just come to Jesus anytime they want. When I'm older, huh? I've got time. How do you know that God will continue to call you? Can you be guaranteed that God will continue to call? Because there does come a day when God gives people over to their sin. Dr. Adrian Rogers says, don't get the idea that a man, a woman, a boy, a girl can just saunter into the presence of God anytime they want. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except the Father who has sent me draw him. My spirit will not always strive with man. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And that's why Hebrews 4, 7 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. The opportunity may pass away. And that's why Jesus wept. He, he saw this city that would be destroyed and their opportunity would soon be gone. Life itself passes away. And it can pass away at any time. At any time. Now, I plan to walk out of here today, and I've got plans for this week, but I have no guarantee. And you have no guarantee you're going to be here on Easter Sunday. Jesus weeps over passing opportunity. Notice thirdly, then, Jesus weeps not only because of superficial religion and passing opportunity, but Jesus weeps because of coming judgment. Notice the consequences for those who fail to recognize the time of visitation. Jesus looks into the future about 35 years or so, and he describes what will happen to the city of Jerusalem. He said, the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, they will surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children in you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. If you've read anything about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., you know that what Jesus said came true to the T. The beautiful temple that had become a den of robbers was leveled to the ground. And historians tell us that it's estimated about one million Jews died in that siege. Some picture or some uh, authors described blood running down the streets. People were so hungry during that siege, they ate leather belts and shoes, even resorted to cannibalism. The Jewish historian Josephus says, while the sanctuary was burning, 
neither pity for age nor respect for rank was shown. On the contrary, children and old people, laity and priests alike, were massacred. He goes on to say, The emperor ordered the entire city and the temple to be razed to the ground, leaving only the loftiest of the towers and the portion of the wall enclosing the city on the west. Then he writes, All the rest of the wall that surrounded the city was so completely razed to the ground as to leave future visitors to that spot no reason to believe that the city had ever been inhabited. What terrible devastation. What terrible judgment came to that beautiful temple and came to that beautiful city. Why? Because they did not recognize the time of visitation. It's no wonder Jesus wept. Warren Wiersbe says, no matter where Jesus looked, he found weeping. If he looked back, he saw how the nation had wasted its opportunities and been ignorant of their time of visitation. If he looked within, he saw spiritual ignorance and blindness in the hearts of the people. As he looked around, Jesus saw religious activity that accomplished very little. The temple had become a den of thieves, and the religious leaders were out to kill him. The city was filled with pilgrims celebrating a festival, but the hearts of the people were heavy with sin. And he says, as Jesus looked ahead, he wept as he saw the terrible judgment that was coming to the nation, the city, and the temple. And so what may have appeared to be a, a time of great celebration, and for some it was, but for many it was not that at all. And when Jesus saw that, he wept. Now as bad as this day was, there is coming a day when there will be greater judgment than this. It won't be judgment that will come to a certain city like Jerusalem. It will come to the whole world. And it will be an eternal judgment. But the good news, the good news is that we can be spared from that judgment. As we recognize that this is our day of visitation. This is our opportunity as we come to worship Jesus and, has, and as His Word is proclaimed. And as we understand that He is the Savior, He is the King, He is the One who has come to save us from our sins. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And Jesus died on that cross for your sin. He paid the price that you might be able to come and, and worship Him and praise Him and thank Him for that glorious, wonderful gift of salvation in Jesus the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the God who saves. 
He is the one who has come in the name of the Lord. And He has come to this place today through His Word to call you to respond to Him. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. And I thank You that You died for me. Please forgive me, Lord Jesus. I confess my sin. I ask You to be Lord and Master of my life. And You have the promise if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you. To as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on His, His name. May this be a day of joy for you, a day of rejoicing, because you know Jesus as your Savior. You know your sins are forgiven. You know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life based on the promise of God's wonderful Word. May that be your experience this day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a day of visitation. It's a day of visitation because you are here. When your Word is proclaimed, you have promised to be here, to speak through that Word, to convict us of our sin and to point us to Jesus. The one who has come to save. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who has maybe just had superficial religion, not a living relationship with you, but just comes to church, and thinks maybe they're doing you a favor by coming to church, and thinking that maybe by coming to church they're fine, they're safe when they don't really know Jesus. Lord, would you draw that person to yourself? Would you show them that they need a Savior and that Jesus is their only hope? Lord, if there's some here this morning who think they have time, someday later, some other time, Lord, remind them that this is a day of passing opportunity. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to save us from judgment, to give us life that is abundant and life that is free. Lord, may your will be done in each of our hearts here this morning. For it is in Jesus, our Savior's precious name, that we pray. Amen.